Open your Bibles now to Judges chapter 1. As we continue through the scriptures now, it's been a real busy week with Palm Sunday. We were in Israel and we saw the teaching there. And the Sunday before that was the closing of Joshua. And Pastor Adam did such a good job, so thankful for that. And, and also then Easter Sunday. And now we're just continuing through the scriptures. And we're in the book of Judges. How many of you have never read the book of Judges? Go ahead and raise your hand. Humble yourself. Someone's scratching their head like, oh, me. You know, if you didn't raise your hand and you read the book of Judges, how many of you read the book of Judges and wish you'd never? read the book of Judges before. Man, the book of Judges is next level. It's gnarly. It's, it's not okay in a lot of ways. I loved the book of Joshua as they enter into the promised land, crossing over the Jordan River after 40 years of wandering around in the wilderness. And it's a picture of our Christianity. You get saved and you're kind of not really sure where you're going. And eventually, listen, at one point you get baptized in the Holy Spirit. You're saved. You've got that first baptism. But now you want to go all in and let God use you to a greater degree and That was the book of Joshua, and it's amazing. But now as we get into the book of Judges, it's a continuation. Listen, it's a succession of what the Lord has begun, and yet we find the children of Israel going through challenges and difficulties and even setbacks and sins and failures. I ask this question often to make sure I'm talking to the right crowd, but since you've been saved and even spirit-filled, how many of you guys have royally blown it before since then? Since you got saved, fired up, you took communion, I'm going all in, Jesus, as soon as I robbed this bank, you know, or whatever. I'm going all in, and all of a sudden something weird happens, and you do something silly, Man, the book of Judges. I will warn you when we get to certain chapters that it will be rated R and it will be an adult audience and I'll do my best to teach it. Maybe plug your kids' ears because it gets crazy. There's murder and there's rape. There's dismemberment. There's abuse. There's chaos. It happens. And I say all that at the front end because what happens slowly is this, what I'm gonna call a cycle of sin and compromise. And it starts out with us saying, yes, Lord, take my life. I want to be filled and baptized. Yet sometimes, eventually, in in ways that are smaller or bigger, we get seduced or enticed by sin. There's a war going on right now, isn't there? Every single day, the devil wants to steal, kill, and destroy. And he will do do so by taking you off of God's path into the road of excess or neglect in either way. He'll distract you and he'll entice you and he'll eventually then go from worshiping God to being enticed and succumbing to sin to the middle part of this five-fold cycle where we're enslaved by sin. We're for a small season or for some of us a longer season. Sin just takes over and we're not operating at the maximum potential. We're in the promised land. We're saved by grace, but we're not bearing the fruit that God wants us to bear. And eventually, by God's grace, your sin, when left undealt with, listen, will eventually, by God's grace, lead you to a place of brokenness, a place of repentance, a place of sorrow, where you're not just enslaved by your sin, but you're broken by your sin. And then finally, fifthly, we see God's grace demonstrated time and time and time and time again, where we're now restored back to fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, it starts with worshiping him and then sin takes us out and we get enslaved and then we're broken and the Lord picks us back up. We can go through this cycle all in one day. Have you done that before? You wake up, you read the Bible, you just fill yourself with the Holy Spirit and temptation calls and you're like, hello, you know, and you pick up the phone and find yourself the rest of the day struggling until the whatever hours and you say, Lord, deliver me. Lord, help me. 
And the Lord is right there. The Bible says if you are faithful to confess him, that he will save you and he will rescue you. And I'll tell you what, I'm not super excited about this book, but I know it comes in succession after the book of Joshua. And so as we study through, the Lord's going to minister to us, wake us up and equip us for whatever situation you're going through. And so let's just read a few verses. I got a few more introductory thoughts but I want to hang on to those until they come up in the text. It says, now after the death of Joshua, it came to pass that the children of Israel asked the Lord saying, who shall be first to go up for us against the Canaanites to fight against them? You see, there were more fights to be had. They were in the promised land, but the Canaanites and the Perizzites and the Jebusites and all these Hittites and all these Hivites and all these websites and all these flashlights, they were all still there in pockets and there needed to be hand-to-hand warfare. And it's so paralleling the walk that you and I have while I'm spirit-filled and born again, there's things in my flesh nature, things in our carnal environment that still need to be warred against and pushed back against every single day until we take our last breath on earth and our first breath in heaven. And as we learn from these pictures, we will find ourselves understanding greater depth and greater degrees the doctrines of the scriptures. You see, the Bible in the New Testament and the Old Testament teach doctrines and teach principles and teach theology. And sometimes if you're like me, you're a normal person, doctrines and theologies and principles can kind of go over your head from time to time. Let's confess they can actually be downright boring. And so what God does is he gives us crazy stories to illustrate the doctrines and principles in the New Testament. Every Old Testament picture, we're going to see some weird pictures, illustrate New Testament principles and theologies and doctrines. And as we then study somebody else's story, the hope is, the goal is, is that you don't have to walk in and create your own silly, sad story as well. Because man, things can go from good to bad to worse in just a few moments. Man, Easter Sunday was so fun. I woke up on Easter Sunday though at 3 a.m. and I couldn't sleep. My eye was starting to hurt. I don't know if anybody saw my eye on Easter. My eye had a little piece of fiberglass in it because on Saturday I decided to crawl under my house. It was Saturday before Easter. Super bored, figured I'd go under my house and see what's under there. And I brought some eye protection and a mask. And I was trying to find a dead animal. There's a peculiar smell in my house ever since I got back from Israel. And I'm sharing way too much right now. But I went under my house and I couldn't see. So I took the eye protection off and continued for an hour to look for this thing and all the rest. And at 3 a.m. I woke up and something was wrong with my eye. And I came to church and preached the first service like Popeye, you know, with my eye closed a little bit. And by the time second service was over, I was having a medical emergency. I couldn't see. I was in severe pain. They treated me during the second service before the third. and the third service, it was swelling up. My face was sweating. I was sweating harder than Joe Biden in a spelling bee. It was bad news. I wanted to be somewhere else, and it was just, it was difficult. Spiritual warfare. That's not that funny, but it's okay. And my wife, she called the doctor, Sky Schroeder, who runs a, an op- he's an eye doctor here in town, and we coach our soccer kids together, and he doesn't go to the church here, and she called Easter Sunday, and he didn't answer her call, and got the message, called her back and said, I'll see him at 3 p.m. Easter Sunday, my family's in town, so I went to go see the doctor, and he, and he took a picture of it, and this big scratch was on my eyeball, you know, and he put a protective lens over it. First, he put some drops, and he says, these drops are going to take the pain away. And he put them, I was like, whoa, that's awesome. He says, if I keep putting those drops in, you'll go blind eventually, so don't keep doing that. But he put a lens over my eye and protected my eye, and I was immediately put in a position where I could move forward, and I kept that lens in until Wednesday over in Kentucky when I was scratching my eye one night on accident, and it came out, and blah, blah, blah. My point is, I have a point, 
is that out of nowhere, things can just spin out of control. And it's what we do in those times of paralysis or difficulty when we cry out to the Lord for help. Notice in verse one, Joshua's dead. It's over. It came to pass that Joshua died. And you who are older and getting older, you've noticed that time is moving faster, is it not? It's closer and closer. When I was younger, I heard older people say that. I was like, oh, it's getting faster and faster, you know? And now I believe it's true. It's almost over for most of us in this room. Look around. I'm smiling because I'm pumped. That's good news. Joshua's dead. And it says right here, the children of Israel cry out, Lord, what should we do? And did you notice immediately God answers them? He says it in verse one or verse two. And the Lord said, Judah shall go up. Indeed, I have delivered the land into his hand. I'm so thankful for God and his goodness, even in turmoil and difficulty. They're crying out, Joshua's dead. Oh no, Joshua picture there of Jesus Christ, Yeshua, Joshua, the Old Testament. Now we're living. Remember Joshua? Remember our greater than Joshua, Jesus, when he died and rose again? They're like, whoa, that was crazy. We thought you were dead, bro. Don't ever do that again. And then Jesus said, oh, by the way, I'm gonna leave and the Holy Spirit's gonna come in my stead. It's better for you that I go away and I'll be time out. We like it when you're here. But Jesus says, when I go away, the Holy Spirit will come and we'll see Caleb as a picture of the Holy Spirit. He's still here. And in your life, right now, wherever you're at, God has whatever you need. If you just ask him. God answers every single one of our prayers in three ways. Yes, those are good ways. No, oh man, or not yet. And immediately we see God give them an answer. Who should go up? Judah should go up. God answers them. And as he continues this succession, I do want to put a little emphasis, though, on this idea of succession. The book of Joshua leads us into the book of Judges. And the book of Judges is a sad account. It starts off good. It starts off like the 9 a.m. service when I could kind of get through it. And then it ends with a doctor's visit. It ends poorly and sadly. And I see this as a compromise, a succession. Let me go ahead and give you two key verses of the book of Judges. And I'm going to end with the very last verse of the book of Judges. You who are Bible students know this verse. This is what it says in Judges 21, 25. It says, in those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. His own eyes. They made up their own decisions. They had their own convictions, their own desires. They said, let's just do whatever we want to do. Have you ever done whatever you want to do? I've done what I wanted to do. That's how I got my parole officer assigned to me. <laughs> Don't follow your heart. Don't do whatever you want to do. Do what God says to do. They had no king, no one to lead them. And at the very beginning, they said, who's going to lead us now? Judah. Now, Judah, the man Judah, the son Judah, the son of Jacob, he's dead and gone. This is the tribe of Judah. And the tribe of Judah is supposed to now lead, and they never really identified a successor to replace Joshua. It's more divided in nature. Almost similar to how we have the church set up now. There's no real head church. There's no real lead church. There's churches everywhere with leaders within those churches churches and tribes in that way. And God would have set them up for success had they continued to ask him what to do with their lives. And yet they ask and they receive and they begin to slowly start doing things wrongly. One more key theme I want to point out is in chapter two, if your Bibles are open, turn to verse seven. 
and it reiterates what I just read. It says, so the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord, which he had done for Israel. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died when he was 110 years old. And they buried him within the border of the inheritance of Timnah, Timnath, Herez, in the mountains of Ephraim, on the north side of Mount Gash. Look at verse 10. And when all that generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation arose after them, listen, who did not know the Lord, nor the work which he had done for Israel. The succession is broken. The men and women who knew God, who walked with God, who were used by God, listen, failed to give that heritage to their kids and to their grandkids. They failed to pass it on to the generation behind them. They failed to glorify God in their lives in such a way where their kids and grandkids knew the ways of God and the wonders of God. Can I encourage you moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas and aunts and uncles, and people who are leading the younger generation, it is your responsibility to make sure that your kids know the wonderful glories of God in all that he has done. I am not going to get the church off the hook, but it is not our Sunday school director, Katrina Thomas, and her crew's responsibility to get your kids up to speed as far as it pertains to the things of God. That is your job, mom, your job, dad. That is the jobs of moms and dads to make sure that their kids know that they know that they know that Jesus is real, that he rose from the dead, that their sins are forgiven, that the kingdom of heaven is coming, that the rules and ways of God are yes and amen. There is no variation or shadow of turning. And they blew it. And we get an opportunity here to learn from this and say, I don't want to blow it. I don't want my kids to miss it. The Bible gives us this ugly picture in order that we would firmly believe in this principle and man, we live in a soft generation, and I'm not trying to be judgmental or cast shadows, but we live in a generation that's abdicated its responsibility from raising up the next generation, with, next generation with truth and with principles and with facts that point to God and the reality that Jesus is real. And we learn this, and we see this necessity. They ask, who shall we send up? And he tells them what to do. And this generation would eventually die off and they would make this mistake time and time again. Look at verse two again. Let's study some things out of this passage. I'm hoping to get to verse 16 today. It depends on how fast you guys listen. We'll see. It says, and the Lord said, Judah shall go up. Indeed, I've delivered the land into his hand. I like that last part. Hey, you want to know who should lead? Judah should lead. Oh, by the way, I have delivered the land into his hand. That's the promises of God. He could have picked Judah. He could have picked Simeon. He could have picked Issachar, Gad. He could have picked anybody. He picked Judah on purpose, but he gives this promise then. I promise you, I'm going to finish the work I began. I promise you, there's, all things are going to work together for good. I promise you, I'll never leave you or forsake you. I promise you, nothing formed against you shall prosper. Do you know the promises of God? If you know the promises of God, you're gonna have the confidence of God going through and getting through every tough battle. They're going into battle. They're not going to Costco right now. They're going to war. I don't wanna to go to war. I wanna to go to Costco. But they're going to battle. And he says Judah shall go first for, for two reasons, Bible note, Bible Students, note takers, write this down for two reasons. Number one, Judah means what? Does anybody know? Praise. And in battle, praise is a priority. In any sort of leadership tactic, in any sort of direction the Lord's leading you in, you have to be a person, a people of praise. Let praise lead you in this next season of your life, this next difficulty, this next battle. As a matter of fact, if you're not able to praise or to worship or to sing songs, stop right there, repent and start singing and get after the battle plan that God's called you to. 
You got to go up with praise. Judah goes first. Secondly, though, Judah, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the one that we know as Jesus Christ, comes from this tribe. And I believe as a typology, every battle begins with Jesus, the lion of Judah, leading us. Jesus is the primary victor. Jesus is the one who has the battle, the keys of Satan, hell, and death in his hand and has overcome all of those foes. And I believe that that is the reason why if you're in a battle right now, man, let praise go up and let Jesus lead the way. And you too will find yourself in victory, even though there's going to be bloodshed, there's going to be difficulty. I believe it's those reasons. Now let's look at this a little deeper. Look at verse 3. It says, so Judah said to Simeon, his brother, come up with me to my allotted territory that we may fight against the Canaanites, and I will likewise go with you to your allotted territory. And Simeon went up with him. Now, Simeon is indeed Judah's blood brother. They both came from Rebekah. They were brothers in nature, so this makes sense. Hey, brother, I'm getting picked on. You go fight this bully with me. I'll fight your bullies with you. It makes sense, but there's more than meets the eye here. Some of you remember Simeon. And Levi didn't receive an inheritance. That is a a territory. And the reason they didn't receive an inheritance as a territory is because all the way back in Genesis, remember they did that dirty deed to the Shechemites? The Shechemites were mean to their sister, and Jacob didn't deal with it properly. He had a plan, but they went ahead and circumnavigated their dad's plan, and they convinced the Shechemites to get circumcised. They said, you can be one of us, just get circumcised. And the next day they came in, and they slaughtered them all, and the Shechemites weren't able to defend themselves because they just had surgery, you know? And Jacob was like, why did you guys do that? You made me look bad. You made me stink in this region. And it's a weird story. I'm going to agree with you on that. But Jacob cursed his sons, Levi and Simeon. And you guys know the story. We just learned this. Levi responded, though, by serving extra hard. Levi responded when there was a difficulty in the camp. They said, man, we've been busted. We've blown it. We've come up short. And when Moses said, who will serve the Lord? The Levite said, we will. We'll do it. We'll do it. There when they were worshiping the golden calf. And the Levites were redeemed in that way. And they got territory. Well, so too the Simeonites, the Simeonites, when they were given his brother the territory, listen, listen, the Simeonites were given an allotment, a territory within the borders of Judah. The Bible says in the book of Joshua that Judah was too big, there was too much land, and so the Simeonites got to be right in the middle of Judah, and therefore they were kind of encompassed by Judah and blessed by Judah's blessing because God was going to bless Judah. The picture is perfect. It's not because of you and your righteousness that you find yourself blessed and included in the kingdom of God, amen. It's because of your proximity to the lion of Judah, to our greater than Judah, to Jesus Christ. Listen, you who truly know Jesus and what he's done, you should expect to be blessed in your life, not because of you, but because of Jesus, because of what he's done. You who are like the Simeonites, you know your sin and your foibles and your faults. You know I don't deserve anything good at all. But Jesus says, come unto me, all you who labor and are weary and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. Sup with me. Hang with me. Do you know this? I hope you know this. In my life, in what God's called Luke Frechette to do, I must know this. I know my sins all too well. I know my weaknesses very familiarly can't even talk. I know my weaknesses. And when I expect the waters to be firm underneath my feet, when I expect the sea to part for me, when I expect the lion's mouths to be stopped and the fires to be quenched and the provision to come, it has nothing to do with me and everything to do with the lion of Judah, Jesus Christ. I hope you know that. It'll change everything. 
I was in Covington or Ohio or somewhere. No, I wasn't. I was in Chicago. And I saw this lady, and she was watching me with the 27 students, and they all got in line, and I was eating a burger or something. And she said, wow, that's quite a group you have there. And I said, yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? And I engaged her in conversation. What do you do? And she's a roofing salesman all over the world. And, and, and it, I got to know her a little bit. And she was a uh, Louise. Anyway, she's a different baseball fan than we were. The, we're, not, we're Reds fans now, but we, we made friends. And she let me know how she grew up in a very legalistic Baptist environment where she was forced to wear a dress, and if she wore pants, she would get scolded, and, and her mom would, would be very upset with her. And I asked her, I said, did that mess with your Christianity and your walk with Jesus Christ? She said, oh yeah, messed me up so bad. Every single time I had an opportunity to rebel or to run away, I would. It really messed with me. And I was able to share with her some verses out of Titus about the grace of God and the goodness of God and the forbearance of God and how those, that, that grace teaches. It's not about our, what we wear on the outside. It's not about what we do. And she was struggling with this. Her parents were so legalistic and yet the churches they went to were ornately decorated and it didn't make sense. Here's the deal. Grace changes everything. It's not about your works or my works or our efforts or our deeds. It's about his love for you and what Jesus has purchased on. This will change everything for you, the way you approach your spouse, love your kids, love your community, the way you read your Bible, the way you move forward after you've blown it. Don't raise your hand, but have you blown it recently? And when you go to the Lord and say, Lord, I've blown it. He says, what are you talking about? I have forgiven you. I've taken your sins and put them as far as the east is from the west. They're in the sea of forgetfulness. I've chosen to forget them. Otherwise, I can't fellowship with you. In order that I can fellowship with you, I can't look at your sins. So my son paid for them in full that we might have fellowship one with another. And so while your sins cause consequences, there is ramifications for stupidity. We all know this. As far as it is vertically between you and the Lord, you're forgiven. You're forgiven. And when Judah invites Simeon to go up with him, he's inviting him to go into battle and into victory. Even though Simeon didn't deserve this, Simeon goes up with him. Look at verse four. I can't believe we're not gonna get to verse 16, but let's try, let's try. It says, then Judah went up and the Lord delivered the Canaanites and the Perizzites into their hand and they killed 10,000 men at Bezek. They find themselves walking in victory. Can I encourage you? When God tells you to do something, don't wait, do it. Just do it. Just do it. Oftentimes, the blessings of the Lord are predicated upon the obedience of his children. Let me say that again. Oftentimes, the blessings of the Lord are predicated upon the obedience of his children. When he told Peter and the boys to cast their nets on the right side, Peter argued, oh, Lord, you're a pretty good teacher. We're fishermen. We know what to do. And he must have heard himself talking. He's like, nevertheless, we'll do what you say. And he tried the right side and they caught a whole bunch of fish. Just do what the Lord says. They did it. They found themselves walking in victory. And I believe the next two verses begin the subtle downward spiral into compromise, silliness, and sadness. Let's read it. It says, and they found Adonai Bezek in Bezek. Adonai means Lord. Bezek means lightning. This is the Lord of lightning, the original Thor. Okay, so the Lord of lightning. And they fought against him. And they defeated the Canaanites and the Perizzites. Then Adonai Bezek fled, and they pursued him, and they caught him. And they cut off his thumbs and his big toes. What? <laughs> I've got so many thoughts. And, then, and Adonai Bezek said, stop right there, let's talk about some things. 
what in the world are they doing? This is the children of Israel. These are God's people. This was a known practice in the pagans, in, in the torturous kind of barbaric peoples to cut off the thumbs of your enemy, to cut off the big toes. In so doing, by the way, there was some strategy. If your thumbs were cut off, you couldn't grab a sword and be a warrior anymore. If your big toes are severed from your feet, you actually can't walk very good. Your balance becomes corrupted and all these things. I have a good friend, Dave Gomez. I actually texted him in my office at 9.15. I said, Dave, can you send me a picture of your toe? I'd like to show the congregation. His big toe was ripped off of his foot in a car rollover accident, you know, and sometimes at youth events, he'll take his shoes and socks off and say, look at my toe, you know, and kids give their lives to Jesus. It's crazy. <laughs> he did not send me a picture. Maybe by the 11 a.m. service, they'll get to see it. But if your toes are gone and your thumbs are gone, you, you can't war and you can't race or walk as well. And, and this, take it how you want it. I believe this was a compromise on behalf of the children of Israel. They shouldn't have done this. You know what they should have done? They should have just killed him. He will die. Adonai Bezik. He's a bad man. He's a bad guy. But they were playing with him, messing around with sin, kind of keeping around, playing with it, toying with it, showing their dominance over it, when in reality, you've got to just kill that stuff. And they found themselves, I believe, walking in the first of very, very, listen, subtle compromises. Because every compromise in sin that we find ourselves being tempted in is subtle. Nobody ever walking with the Lord Jesus Christ wakes up one day and says, you know what I'm going to do? By the end of the day, I want to go to prison. By the end of the day, I want to be divorced. By the end of the day, I want to be caught up with all kinds of crazies. I want to be addicted to heroin. By the end of the day, that's my goal today. I want to be an alcoholic. I want to... Nobody makes those decisions in one decision, but it's a series of subtle compromises that lead us to finding ourselves with our own thumbs cut off, where we don't wield the sword as well as we want to. Or walking with the Lord becomes difficult because our toes are removed. And all these issues happen. I believe this compromise is, is here. And sometimes we even make provisions for ourselves and say, well, if I get in trouble, if I get behind, I, I can deal with it. I'll just call a tow truck. No? Dang it. Thought it was going to go over. A toe, a toe? His toes were cut off? A tow truck? No? You'll get it later. You'll get it later. Uh, look at verse 7. Adonai Bezek gets a speaking line in the book of Judges. He's toeless and he's thumbless. And it says, Adonai Bezek said, 70 kings with their thumbs and big toes cut off used to gather scraps under my table. And as I have done, so God has repaid me. And then they brought him to Jerusalem and there he died. Stop right there, eyes up here. Interesting. Adonai Bezek, when he's busted, when he's caught, apparently knows something that we in the New Testament also know. It's Galatians 6, 7. And in Galatians 6, 7, God says, hey, don't mock me. What you reap, what you sow, you shall reap. If you sow to the flesh, you're gonna of the flesh reap corruption. Listen, but if you sow to the spirit, you're gonna reap of the spirit life. This is a biblical principle. Here, Adonai Bezek says, man, Believe it or not, guys, I've done this whole thumb thing and this toe dealy bob. I've done this to 70 other kings, and God has now repaid me for what I deserve. Interesting. And he, and he dies in that condition. We learn something from Adonai Bezek that you will reap what you sow. This is a principle. This is a promise. This is a warning. Listen, listen, listen. Regardless of good or bad deeds, 
you will see in your life evidenced that which you've been up to, that what you've been doing. This is both a warning for those who are doing silly things, bad things, carnal things. Listen, and it's an encouragement to those of you who are plowing for Jesus, who are sowing seeds of righteousness, who are waiting for a harvest. You're trusting in the things of God. And whether you're doing silly things, sinful things, carnal things, or whether you're doing saintly things and holy things and righteous things, the Bible promises you and me there will be growth, there will be a harvest. See, the Bible says in Galatians chapter six, God is not mocked. In other words, when we don't believe this principle, what we're saying is is that we're stronger than God. We know more than God. This compromise, this issue that I'm dealing with over here, this sin, this carnality, this worldly lust that I'm entertaining. It's not a big deal. Really? 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 And maybe once nothing bad happened. The walls didn't fall in and the roof didn't come down and the cops didn't show up. And we look around and say, that wasn't that bad. And we continue to walk in these areas of compromise and sin, thinking that we're getting away with it. And the Bible specifically says, you're not getting away with anything. There will be a harvest. There'll be fruit in your life, and it's going to bring death. And Adonai Bezek says, man, I've been doing this to kings for years. And now here I am getting the just recompense for my actions. And I just want to put this out there as a subtle warning. We're going to have warning after warning after warning in the book of Judges. And I believe it's for such a time as this, when our culture that we live in is so seduced by sin and enslaved by carnality. And even within the church, even within your life or within my life, there are areas of compromise where like, it's okay, it's not that bad. I'm just gonna let a little bit of stuff into my life. And the Lord says, don't mock me. Don't mock my principles. Don't. And he says it not because he's innately offended at us, frustrated with us. He's not actually, listen, even mad at you. Did you know that? The Lord is mad about you. You're his bride. You're his best friend. You're his church. You're the mission that he's left here. The next generation. He says, guys, be careful. Be careful. Just like the children of Israel that we can look at and say, they did what? They're going to get involved in with who? They're going to go where? And yet in our own lives, the Lord says, hey, careful. Careful. But I would also encourage you, those of you who are on mission for Jesus right now, and it feels like it's been a long winter, and you've been praying, and you've been participating in Bible study, and you've been preaching, and you've been sharing, and you're wondering, where's the goodness of God? Where's the blessing of God? Where's the, and the Lord would say, don't. Listen, same passage, Galatians 6. Don't grow weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap a harvest. If we don't lose heart, it's the same passage. God's not mocked. Keep doing the good things you've been doing. And can I teach you a principle as well? We're running out of time. That if you have been sowing seeds of carnality and compromise and sin, okay, and praying for a crop failure, how many have ever done that before? Sow a bunch of seeds of chaos and just pray they don't, you know, hope they don't grow. That doesn't work that way. But did you know that right alongside of those wild oats, 
right alongside of that chaos and carnality and rebellion and sin, right alongside today, you can repent. And right alongside of that silliness, you can begin to plant seeds of righteousness. You can begin to plant seeds of love and peace and the fruits of the Holy Spirit. You can begin today and say, I don't want to go that route anymore. I don't want to be like Adonai Bezek, thumbless and toeless. Instead, I want to be on the grind and I want to be planting what God wants for my life. As a matter of fact, we're going to have a little time of response now. We don't have much time to go in the word anymore. So I do want to do this though. Can, Paul, can you come up and lead us in a song? And here's what we're going to do for the remainder of our time together. Another five or seven minutes and you can get your kiddos. Is I really want to give an opportunity for you to say no more to the things of the flesh. No more. Why would I do that? Why would I allow this anymore in my life? Why would I invite any more compromise and any more chaos and rebellion that would then complicate my walk with Jesus? But instead, here's what I want to do, Pastor Luke. Here's what I want to do, God in heaven, is I want to repent. Because just like we quickly learned the five-fold steps of the cycle of sin, it starts with praising God. I believe we're all there. But then so easily we get enslaved in sin and we get so easily succumbed to sin and we get easily... There goes the hay wall. The good news is it was on our to-do list this next week to take that down. So thank you, Jesus, for that. Make sure nobody's underneath it. Would you, Sarah? Nobody's underneath it? Okay, good. Oh, it's still there? Cool. And as I was getting to point number four, we find ourselves then calling out to the Lord. We're broken by our sin. We're broken by the areas of where we've ended up in our life. And there needs to be repair. There needs to be some recovery. Here's the good news. Is the Lord does exactly that. He ministers to us. Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took a towel and he washed the feet of his disciples. He ministered to them in order that they might find themselves prepared for moving forward. And so I'm going to ask you guys to stand up with me. We're going to start singing right now and start playing. Would you bow your heads? It was real sunny over there in Ohio. Just letting you guys know. Might have even hit 80 degrees one day. I can't remember. And as I check the 10-day forecast here, I go into a mild depression and quickly then go to my photo album and look at pictures of the sun. But I also tell myself, it's going to be okay. I'm going to be just fine. We're going to be just fine. Because God has said so. And even right now while I'm beginning to pray, if you need the Lord to speak that over your life, we're going to sing a song. And you need the Lord to deliver you from maybe cloudy days. Maybe an unfruitful season. You know. You know. And you need the Lord to deliver you. In, in that brokenness and in that decay to say, hey, I can cleanse that. I can heal that. I can deliver you. I want you right now, while you're in the land of the living, to believe that good days are coming, better days are coming, to believe that I'm for you, not against you. And even if you've sinned or you've compromised or you've erred, God says, come to the table. Be refreshed. 
And what I want you to do is by way of response and obedience, if you need a filling of the Holy Spirit, if you need a breaking of sin, if you need a cleansing of your soul, if you need something from the Lord, you know you're in need today, right now, right now while I'm still talking, would you just come forward? Just come forward and crowd around the front of the altar here by the stage. Just move outside of the aisles where you're at and come on forward and just say, yes, Lord, I need you. I need restoration of my mind. I need restoration of my heart. I need restoration of my life. Make your way right now. If your heart is beating fast and something and you say, don't miss out on this opportunity, humble yourself, the Bible says, in the presence of the Lord. And he will lift you up and exalt you in due season. Father, I thank you. As we sing this song, if you feel that need for the Lord to minister to you, don't miss out. Don't miss out. God has so much in store for you right now. Maybe it's been the way you've interacted with your wife or your kids or your husband or your community, or maybe it's just the way you've been interacting with your God. You're here at church, but man, you don't give him much time of the week or much time of the day, whatever it is in your life. You, you know. And the Lord says, come unto me. So Father, would you bless this time now as your children respond to you in singing and in response, Lord, would you break every chain? Would you lift us up? Would you wash our feet? We love you so much. We do need you. We trust you for all these things. Pour out your spirit upon us, even as we sing to you and as we pray for one another. Maybe if you're up here, you're a prayer warrior, you could come up behind some of these people and just lay hands on them. Just gently pray for them in the spirit. Just pray blessings on them. If you've come up front, you can just pray and say, Lord, and confess your sins and leave them here at the altar and say, Lord, take me right where I'm at and make me the man or woman you want me to be. We're going to sing and turn the music up right now while we do this and simply respond to Jesus. Let's seek him together right now.